0: Welcome to Talking Shop. I am Steven Batista. With me, the handsome Honduran Carlos Domo. How you doing, Carlos?
1: I'm doing fantastic, man. How about yourself?
0: I'm good. Good. This is. um, I got some good feedback since the release of the last episode. Um, Shout out to Xavier Gonzalez, who's a big fan of the podcast. George, he didn't mention. He didn't bring up the the short joke, so I hope he enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) But other than that, I think. uh, I had fun like that no no matter what I, that that was when I got off I was like that that show was fun and just talking and it, it just provides a good uh, uh at least an output for both of us to a to little some steam so catch me up on how you've been since that last episode got any good games
1: yeah I mean look I've been busy I'm always staying busy with uh with sports sports has been my life and so uh this weekend we had a series at um my park formerly MCU with um, Case Williams reserves and NYU. Uh, we started Friday with a doubleheader, two nines. Um, the UAA conference, they play nine in the game. So, and then uh, Saturday was canceled because of weather. And then we kicked off uh, yesterday morning, Sunday morning, 10 a.m., game one, and game two shortly after. So um, I was U1 for game one yesterday, and the rotation sent me to uh, the plate. So I opened the series and closed the series, but definitely was fun with the partners.
0: Three umpires?
1: Three umpires, yep. Three umpires. Three man uh, system.
0: To catch people up, MCU Park is the park in Brooklyn, uh, Coney Island, where the Brooklyn Cyclones, they used to play, right? Or they they still do, do play. They still they play. Do play. Okay, yeah. and um, U1 means uh, home plate umpire, just to catch people.
1: No, up. no. You So you one you oh, is... Oh, Sorry. Yeah so so we start, start our happening. initial position is U1 is first base ah. U3 is third base but there's a lot of rotations and then the home plate umpire.
0: Oh they don't give you a number it's just uh you're umpire in charge right UIC.
1: Uh, I mean you know in some cases you know you can be the the, the crew the crew chief if you're on a dish but not necessarily. Um, but again, it's just the starting positions. And when a ball isn't played, depending upon where it's at, um, you know, it would dictate who moves to where, what positions, um, and it, and it can become two man. but again, it could be a little too complex to talk about on the podcast, Absolutely, but it was a three man
0: system. Got it. Got it. And which is cool, you said you had good partners.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I worked with, uh, uh, Friday was Will Jeffries, um, who's a multi-talented former, uh, professional umpire and Nick Tull. um and you know Nick Toole is a regional umpire. Worked the uh, region, some region uh, at division two level, has um, worked numerous conferences. The cool thing about it is that Nick is just freaking tall. He he has to be like six 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 seven. I'm six two, and Will is six two, and um, you know even <laughs> though. Yeah, it's it. I mean, that was a crew. That was a crew. And everyone it sounds
0: more like a gang.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's so it's so cool being on the field with good partners and people we've worked with over the years. Nick Tool, I actually met him at Diamond Nation my first year, and uh we, we worked together and we just kicked it off. What a funny, funny dude. And Will Jeffries has been a mentor to me for years. Um, just how just how I met him and we work uh baseball and football together, but every time I work with him it's just learning something new. And he is funny, 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 and we just have fun we just have fun on the field. Yeah, I mean we we, 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 we can administer the rules. Shop, oh we, we do, we do. We mean we, we can we can chop it up on the rules and then we have some fun. So it's it's really fun to work with a great crew.
0: Yeah, I think next episode uh well, we'll see. But we, sh- I-, I definitely want to open it up. We have more of a roundtable and have some like just just a roundtable of war stories you know, and expand upon this. And it's funny you say mentors and good partners because this week the two things that we're going to cover are mentors and bad partners. And as far as mentors go, you said um, what's his name, Jeffries again? Will Jeffries? Yeah, Will Jeffries. You said he's a mentor, um, and you- I'll-, I'll let you take the lead as as far as like your you know. Doesn't have to be one. It, it doesn't have to be a, a particular sport. Anything of notable mentors who you not not just taught you how to be better, but things that you still do and you pass along. Like it's like a legacy, you know. Like so, like there's like for you. From I would I'm I'm not gonna pick you because that would be too too. <laughs> what would I do? But you have taught me so much that I still pass on. So go ahead, tell me
1: your mentors. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll kick it off with Will. You know. Uh, Will and I have worked with various organizations for more than 10 years, whether it's um, you know, baseball, and I first met him in baseball, and then when I got into college football four or five years ago, I learned he's part of the group, and he is very ac- accomplished there as well. As I mentioned, he's a former uh, minor league umpire, um, and he works Division One football. He's a rules oh, wow. guy. So anytime I have to learn something new or pick something I'm not uh, sure about, I, I know I can pick up the phone and speak to him. But one of the things he did for me, geez, maybe, 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 uh, you know, a few years ago was uh, it was the time where the mechanics for umpire and working the plate was dropping the hammer. And I never liked dropping the hammer. And I'm like, Why do we have to drop the hammer? I don't like dropping the hammer. I would like rather call. point. Stri- yeah, well, on for, for every strike, actually. Yeah, so what, what is um, dropping the hammer? Maybe I don't just know. Just take you know, when you call a strike, instead of you pointing to the side, just coming up front, strike, strike. Ah, you know, the kind like a softball, kind of like so, kind of like softball, right? That's, yeah, what, softball. They do That's softball. Softball. what
0: they teach you in camp, yes, exactly. Right.
1: And and I'm the why, why, why do we have to? And I understood that when you call the strike in front of you, you keep your eyes in front of you. So if anything can happen, you could see it right away versus if you point. Right. And so um, I was point. working a night. <laughs> good yeah, time. it was good point. Right. And, and, and another one of my buddies talked about it this week. And so I was working a, a men's baseball game with Will. And again, when I was first introduced to him, I was introduced to Will, him being in a, in a, in the minor leagues. And so I want to absorb and pick his brains. So, very early in the game, I said, you know, Well, I-, I don't want to drop the hammer. He said, Don't drop the hammer, point. And I was like, wait, what? I said, I thought we had to drop the hammer. He said, No, point. It's whatever you want to do. Really? Just point. Yeah, just take like this. Great. Hey. I was like, that's it. And ever since that point, how <laughs> long ago was I this again? Party. It, it's been several years. I got to be minimally five years. So, so, so I you were I said doing before, it
0: beforehand and then you saw him doing, you looked up to him in such a way a reverence that,
1: that he did. He does the hammer. Well, no, he doesn't do the hammer, but he was, it was one of the rare times I got to work with will because, you know, at that point in my career, you know, I, I didn't know many guys who were up at that level. Guy was a minor league umpire. He's a yeah. professional umpire. Yeah. So, When I first, when I was first exposed to him, you know, it was at a a clinic and Will was just giving instructions on what we should be doing as umpiring. Mm. So I, I'm looking at him like, wow, like that's who I want to aspire to be at. So when I got to work with him, I asked him the question, why do I have to drop the hammer? Why can't I just point? And he said, just point. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Again, he's a clinician and you know, that relationship has really evolved to the point. If you know, I'm always able to to see him and ask him those kind of questions. But again, it was at that point in my career, and not getting into college just yet. He he was a clinician, and he was already at a certain level. I had not even gotten to college yet, so it's like, man, I want to aspire to be to where where he's at. So I have to soak up the information. So once he said he gave me the, the green light, it's been like that ever since.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I, that's. Like, uh, do you think they teach in the well, for me, hammer way? Because just to keep your focus straight.
1: When you go to professional schools, that's what they're gonna teach you, you know. And it's, and it's really their system. That's it. I think as you go up the ranks, you can maybe tweak th- some, some certain things. Um, but for me, right, it came down to timing. When the ball is being pitched, and I already seen it go through the zone. The catcher catches the ball, and. And I really know it's a strike, right? As the ball is going back in flight, that's when I'm coming up and pumping a strike. Or, you know, the ball comes in and I'm saying ball, either, you know, and the location in, out, up, down. So they already know where it's at. So by the by, the time the ball's going back in flight, I'm coming up. But again, once the ball comes in and I know it's a strike. I wait a second I, and then no he's gonna probably hold it for a second start to throw it back and I'll come out and so i don't know if there's a and so for me w- when that happens right the ball is back in flight so i can take my eyes off for a second but my peripherals are also really good as well um at least in my opinion if you have a runner on first right the ball comes in it's a strike as it's going back in flight you could you, you could see the runner yeah right? you you're, if you're there's a run the of
0: an experienced person I, what i mean is like that that And not to interrupt you, just I mean, like, I think that approach to the hammer is just so everybody can just keep their eyes full because you, your anticipation levels are higher. So you you can have your own style, I think, in that point. And I think uh, maybe they like, I would love to know if that is the standard approach for that reason, because why would he teach something he doesn't do is what I'm saying, you know?
1: Yeah, and he, do- and he doesn't drop the hammer. So, for me, I've picked up from a lot from him and others. Um, but, again, I think it's a preference. Uh, yeah, I know yeah. some folks who still drop the hammer and look to the side. You know, I think it's their preference. But I think it mm-hmm. also comes down to timing, you know, those types of things. So, um, with that being said, I can change, change up that perspective a little bit, right? All right. This call I had this weekend was on an interference on the batter. You got a runner. Run on first. Pitch comes in. My only job is after calling the strike is watching the bat the batter, right? And the catcher watch that happen. And as the catcher, right, the batter swung, the runner's taken off, right? He's stealing, and I'm watching. And the batter is starting to lean over. Like after his swing took him over the plate. And that and the, as the catcher threw the ball, we had the interference. So I called right away. That's interference. That's interference. Um, the ball kind of sailed. So I called time. It's interference.
0: Contact. Because
1: the runner was safe at second.
0: Was there contact? Oh, yeah, it was contact. Yeah. Uh, the catcher made contact with the – There was contact.
1: Or the, or the, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or, yeah. No, I'm so I called or the, time. I called. That's interference. It's interference. I send the runner. since uh, Interference on the, on the batter. Interference on the batter. As the catcher was throwing, the contact happened because – you know, once the batter swung, his momentum took him out of the box over the plate. That's where the contact happened. So I called the interference. The runner was on second, sent him back to first and called the batter out. And so the coach comes down from third base side and says, Hey, you know, um the catcher can't step in to the box to purposely hit my players. That that's not what happened. I mean, this is the only play I have right in front of me. I have the best view. He said You're the catcher can step in. He said the ca- he said the catcher cannot. So he was trying to say yeah, that the yeah, catcher. Yeah. Inter- no, it was... the catcher did not make contact. So I, it's funny. I actually went back uh, today. I got access to the video as I study all my videos. Um, and I watched it. I'm like, oh gosh, that was I was on the money. It was money. You clearly can see it clearly. And it was the video was from back from behind, top down. I'm like, oh god, this is. So I'm sure he's watching the video. Um, but it's like, you know, that call. You know, you got to pick and choose your battle. That one there. When I'm in front of the play, I'm watching that. That's 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 the only play I really got to watch. Because once that ball sails, I got to watch what happens, and then I can t- shift down. Everything is clean. I'll say I got nothing. I'll go safe. I got nothing, and then I'll see the player tech it, and whether it's out or safe, that's their call there. But here, I got nothing. You know, so um, interesting, man. It's just, um, you know, going back to that focus. Even if if that point, if I drop the hammer, I got to better real good view and even you know when i'm calling that i see a steal because my peripheral, field i can see the runner taking off i'm gonna say strike but i'm keeping focus right in front of me that's also, the one time i won't i won't it's look a swinging
0: away. strike too right it was a swinging strike it was oh, a no, sweetest su- yes yeah so you're, gonna, you're, you're not really gonna turn your head on those things too like a natural when you're doing the strike three call and stuff like that it, i think it's more like in the first or second strike where you, you're you turning and pointing and then the, you're turning and then the, there's a the, the runner takes off catcher gets up in that split second you might miss something i, I at least for, i tell myself that so i don't do that because <laughs> i was doing that and i was taking my eyes off the the action and i just think the the most if you can catch yourself not doing that
1: it's always for the better. Well, it's uh, just to, to add a little more clarity. I'm not going to really take my eyes off, especially when you have a runner on first. Right, the ball comes in, catcher has it. I know it's a strike. I can see the runner start taking off. So as the ball is going back in flight, now I can take because I can see the runner and mm-hmm. I can point. You know, but on a steal, and you're going to hear when when they start when the runner starts to steal, everyone is going to shout something, which tells me I'm focusing here, well, and I can see the, good the teams runner.
0: Will the good teams will.
1: Most most people will. Oh Don't
0: man. Yeah, you know how many times you've had uh, you know, shout out to coach from Taft Britt. He's like, I didn't hear anybody. <laughs> I love Brit. Um so let's get let's get more mentors. Uh what about like wrestling?
1: One of one of the guys who's who's been a mentor uh, to me, as I mentioned before, Nick Grosso, I worked with him at Hofstra two years ago. Um and you know, big on rules. I I try to mirror him as much as possible. As I said, I watch my videos. I watch his videos a lot. And he's very clean in the mechanics, very, very good with communication um, to the coaches, to the athletes during the match. Um, And that's a guy who, you know, it's just, he is really good. And not only is he a great wrestling official, but he's also a a softball, the Big Ten. So he's a Big Ten wrestling official and a Big Ten softball. Was official.
0: he was he um, out of?
1: He's out of Connecticut. So um, you know, just just having a conversation with him and the dedication and focus he has, you know, is one that just just from that, you know, someone can become just great, you know, and and he's incredibly disciplined. And what he does, and he takes it—he takes this really, really serious. I mean, those guys at that level, and, and you, you have to take it serious. You have to, and you have to have a system that just kind of works. Being in the Big Ten, the Big Ten is the toughest conference. Okay, just my opinion. Um, I think a lot of people feel the same way. Big Ten wrestling is the number one conference in the country, hands down. So to kind of officiate there, you know, at that level with the pressures you have, again, you have the Iowas, the Penn States. The, the Nebraska, Wisconsin, uh Northwestern, uh Michigan, Michigan State. Oklahoma's... I mean that o- Oklahoma's Big 12, I believe. Oh, okay. Big 12. Yeah. yeah. So you mean you, you you that that Purdue, you know, uh rep Matt Ramos getting upset. <laughs> you know, yeah. these guys are but... all tough. So you got to officiate there and every match, every individual match has to be like equivalent to like a state A state championship final, you know, so it's, it's, it's the official. Yeah, because that's
0: basically the, you know, when you're in college, that's pro level for them. They're, yeah, they're young adult men who is, there's no other level outside of that. that's (laughs) as, uh, that's folk style for sure. After Mm that, it's all freestyle Mm -hmm. and a world level. And for, for a lot of people, that's kind of it, just like it is for, most people who who do who who do any sport in a scholastic level, but um, when you get to like the Division One, I, I mean, that's that is the pros for those people. So yeah, Matt Ramos from Purdue upsetting Spencer Lee. I mean, not only just upsetting him, pinning him. I, I was telling my friends that's like it's equivalent if there were odds like when Ronda Rousey not uh, got knocked out by Holly Holm, but. In in the shocking level of, okay. In hindsight, we could all see that a, a striker with good rest, with good de- takedown defense could pose trouble to a wild Ronda. You know, like in hindsight, it would, the odds didn't reflect how the the competitor that Holly was. But on on any given day, everybody's gonna pick Spencer Lee still to beat him like uh, nine times out of ten. Absolutely. And it was just a one time that it happened, and not only that. Even if he did beat him to pin him, like he, cause he caught him. He caught him. He, he was being sloppy and he got, he got both arms in and that was, that was insane. So, yeah. So that's cool. I'm going to do my mentors and uh, I'll start with wrestling since that was uh, my first sport as an official. And what's cool about wrestling as part of the grand beyond the rules scheme is when I have my plan to develop uh, umpires. The way that uh, wrestling does it is uh, part of the blueprint that I'm uh, that NBA and beat the streets is a good blueprint of how you can develop something that the inner city kind of forces you to to do. You know, I think in the inner city with baseball, there's such a deluge of talent that the other end of it doesn't have to, like, compensate Where in wrestling. Everybody's kind of in a community because the city is it's like the black sheep of wrestling. So it, it, there's, a, there's a lot more interest for the people involved and they don't take it for granted, I think. And it's cool that I started with that. I feel like I would be, I would be a different official, uh, at least it, as, as regards to my progress, if I didn't do r- wrestling first. And what I mean by that is by two of my biggest influence, because it was the first two that I came across and that's George Cabralis and Rich Martinez who run the officials clinic for, for wrestling and take a lot of time out. And, and that is recognizable up front too, like, yeah, you gotta pay a little bit of money to do this and you should pay people for their time when they're teaching you anything. Uh, but they 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 spend a lot of time to develop you and and to make sure that you're out there and the accountability goes through them. It's not just something like, hey, just read the rules and you go out there and you're a nameless person. No, like we all represent each other. And that sort of like camaraderie was Evident up front. And I don't think I would have had that sort of sense that I'm doing the right thing for my life and becoming official and that this is something I want to keep doing if it was for umpiring. And we'll get into that later about like the disenfranchise of why there's not that many umpires. But as far as wrestling goes from there and on, you know, going through the class, George Bras, like I said, who was a coach uh, against me one time uh, when he coached for Bryant and I was at Lehman and it was one of the biggest wrestling highlights of my life. Granted, the kid did wrestle up, but I didn't, you know, drop the the lineup (laughs) and I slammed him in front of everybody. A a legal slam, Mm -hmm. but I did pick him up with ease as a 119 would do to like a guy wrestling up. (laughs) So it, it was a cool moment. I do remember him coming into the school and just when I saw him at the clinic, I was like, oh, it's you. And Rich Martinez was a referee that I remember, too, from my career. As a uh, my uh, high school career as a referee, I mean as a as a wrestler. So going from there, you know, meeting you, who would then introduced me to baseball, and we'll get into that real quick. But for just a shout out, a couple of key influencers and mentors, Billy Pat, uh, Billy Pat is just what can I say about Billy Patton taking over the president of the of our chapter right after Bob and who I luckily got one full season of hearing the speeches of you own this part of your house you know and and that's just it's just good it's good to get the 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 legacy and the roots and see where billy comes from and how he does it and he's got a he's got such a soft hand but a serious expectations like he's never going to get mad at you but you never want to disappoint him type of type that type of dad vibe and I love that about him and and he's assessed me in my talent in ways that I think it provides a lot of honesty that a good leader should have. And who can I mean, how can any of us function without good old Thomas Falvel? Our our main rules are for people not listening, every chapter or or everybody's got their own rules interpreter who goes to the state meetings and comes back with the rules. I don't know if people understand that. So they come back and they they tell us what's what new rules, and he's our interpreter. And one thing about Tom that he's hard edge because he is a stickler and I, I, nothing I'm saying now is not something I, he wouldn't take with pride and I wouldn't say to his face, but he's very much a stickler. He, he, he's like a, an umpire who is a, I call a shoebox box to have a, 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 a zone of a shoebox. It's like, well, at least, you know, it's always a strike with him. It's like you listen, that is the rule no matter what, there's no bend. So, you can only go one way with him, and that's good, man. When you're a young referee, you need that. I don't need to, I don't need to stylize myself now. I, I'll get there later. I need the rules. I need to know what what to do, and having Tom is invaluable, you know. And shout out to uh, Dave Warren, who is the Rockland rules interpreter, who's influenced me in ways that I, I swear the last two years I've grown so much as an official being under him. And he's different than Tom Pavel in a way that I call him Master Splinter. He's very. He teaches me how to be beyond the rules. He is a big aspect of beyond the rules to me. I've seen him do a lot of things that I had to question why he did it. Not that the, the rule merit, it was just a, it was a lot more wise that I learned. And, and he wouldn't be, I would, it happened in perfect order, learning from Tom first, because I need the rules and I need to be precise and I need to, to have the respect of coaches that I actually know what I'm talking about versus looking like I do. But Dave has show has shored up a lot of those things and looking like I know what I what I'm talking about, which is a you need both. Moving on from there to baseball. I don't have much mentors that I do for baseball in that revered way. I was thinking about it earlier as I was thinking about the episode and when I thought of mentors as the the subject, it was a lot easier for me to come up with wrestling guys, so much that I had to edit it and I'm not I'm not leaving you guys out. You all know who you are, but Time is time. But for baseball, I don't have that sort of outside of you. And I've never even worked with you. But it's I can't really say you because I've only heard you. And and I know who you are. So I respect what you say. And I can visualize it and take it with me as good information. But Curtis Dugar, of course, he was obviously somebody who I thought of to start the podcast with. And and, in the precision that he offers. And he's a big influence in that. And the the platform that Marty Clark has provided me a Dime Nation. And, and going back to wrestling, Rich Rinaldi, another guy who I've never worked with in baseball. I almost forgot to mention him. He is another hard ass. I love how much of a hard ass he is. And I, I get a story about him and bad, and bad Partners. And he's not one of them. But he just has an approach that you either take with you or maybe you're too sensitive for that approach. And that's fine. That that doesn't mean that you're, you're not game enough. That's not the vessel of information that's going to help you learn. For me, I would just say sack up and, and listen to the guy because he he knows what he's talking about. And if you he, if he hurt your feelings, trust me, he doesn't care about you enough to know that he's doing that. He just cares about the rules and he cares about what he's telling you. And that enough is, is you got to respect people like that because if they go out of the way to open their mouth and tell you something like that, you got to listen. You got to really listen. Don't be, yeah, but Taking everything that he says, and even the little that I've talked about baseball, it just it, like I said, it comes through because this guy knows what he's talking about. So that that's as far as I got with mentors and everybody above me who who's helped me. And I forgot his name, but there's one guy at Diamond Nation, I worked with a couple of games, and he came in as a as a short notice from Marty. I could tell he wasn't even in Diamond Nation gear, but uh, he eliminated a a thing that I did. I used to say sh- two for strike two, mm-hmm. and that was something I adapted. I thought that was cool. I don't even know how to speak to myself but then, but I picked it up. And when we were changing in the parking lot, he was like, can I talk to you? And I was, I, like I said, I don't remember his name. He was like, get rid of that two. He was like, whatever you can do to not make yourself think more about what you're doing, just say strike, strike, strike three he's like, let me ask you something. Have you forgot to say two? And you said strike. And I was like, yeah, nobody even else cares that you did that, but you do. So don't do it again. Just say strike. And I was like, God damn, you're right. And I never said two again. And I was like, thank you, nameless umpire, who I don't remember. <laughs> and he, then he was gone into the wind. I don't even know if he was real. Could have been a mirage. Is but that he,
1: segue to bad partners?
0: <laughs> <yeah>. Well, <laughs> that was a great segue into bad partners because <laughs> he was the opposite and he and and he backed me up too on a play where um i pointed at something and he he just said no he's got the right call and and the umpire or the coach i could just tell his mechanics his knowledge of the game the way he said things the way he defaulted in that he's like no like that's a guy who knows the rules and knows the beyond the rules too and that's a guy who knows I learned so much through osmosis. And he took the time at the end to to be like, hey, you seem like a guy who wants to know more. And if I'm going to tell, like, take it or leave it. So, yeah.
1: I just want to tell you, it's interesting you mentioned Rich Finale. Rich Vinali Sr. and I are going to get to work tomorrow, man. I always love working with him. Big rules guy. Uh, because I'm newer to the other college group, he gives me a lot of insights into the partners I'm working with. But we talk rules all the time, man. All the time. And the great thing is, He's multi-sports. He he's he, you know as you know on the way down we talk rules on the way up we talk rules talk about things that happen. But it's always talking shop. They say talking shop, man. It's great to talk with him, and we speak around once or twice a week about things that happen in college baseball. And um, so tomorrow we we'll get to work. To hmm. we we'll get to work at Stevens, and I just get excited to work with him uh, again. We get to work on the field and on the mat. So very knowledgeable. And we can always talk direct, you know. Yeah, no, you know, I think I
0: uh, I was gonna just have him on uh, the time, for, not just have him on, but I was gonna time his appearance the first time when the uh, World uh, Little League World Series comes on because he's um, umpired that. But I think you know he is kind of <laughs> if I can get it out of him, his personality, <laughs> he's great to have on talking shop because that that he can talk shop and we'll get into it in bad and bad partnering. Uh, it was just a revealing thing as we, as I work more with people and I, like I, I've always appreciated everybody I work with, especially if they're good. But Rich Rinaldi is the type of guy he can, he's never rubbed me the wrong way, but he can he's brash, and I didn't get to see it at how much I appreciated it and how much I saw it. Not just like, okay, that's just his personality, sure, but I think that, it's more of the way he knows how to teach too, and if he offers that to you. Like I said, if people offer anything to you and, and and you you think that it's worth listening to, then listen to it, whether they whether you like their approach or not. And I think that's a good thing to segue into bad partnering because part of that is I think my definition for bad partner is not just somebody who's inexperienced and they they fucked up, but it's somebody who is not receptive to information and somebody who's like, Yeah, but or I know, but and, and and I have a specific story with Richard Rinaldi, senior. So, yeah, uh, working with Rich Rinaldi, like I said, it's such a, he's got an approach and we'll segue into a bad, bad partners. One of the recent ones that I experienced, and its what, it was it regards wrestling, which is a little different because they're not necessarily your partner. He wasn't the assistant referee because usually for assistant referees it would be a high-level situation. And that guy in a high-level referee. I'm not going to say any names, but it was working the, the Catholic States and I wasn't working with him enough to see the, the head referee was Rich Rennelli, senior. And thank God, because the year before it was on the Western side and it was just, it wasn't ran right. It it wasn't and in MN like shit talking. It was unfair to the, to the caliber of tournament and to the schools. It was, it was not, it was almost like a umpiring where you have people who shouldn't be there. So this year there was one ref and he he was inexperienced and it was, it's fine if you're inexperienced and I'm not saying this is the time for you to like, you shouldn't be at these tournaments, but whatever. There, there can be ways where you can work it out and not have to be in such a high level situation, which was the case last year. But this guy who's working and then it was break time. So we're sitting down and Richard Rinaldi talking to him. And I've prefaced this a lot by saying Rich now is a brash guy. He doesn't pull back. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't pull his punches. And he's talking to, and I hear this guy talking rather to him. They're going back and forth about a scenario that happened. And I don't remember the exact scenario, but he's talking in a way where Rich is trying to tell him, yeah, but here's what you did wrong. And the way that the guy was responding, he was putting blame on the coach and he was put like, he didn't really, he didn't grasp how, just take it on the chin you fucked up okay and you have another like now move on the coach has moved on hopefully but he has to no matter what he has to just like you so move on and he was taking like he wasn't even taking what rich was saying back to him personally he was taking like the fact that what rich was saying yeah i hear what you're saying but the coach should should be like this it's like oh okay you don't have a right to say all that like just listen to what i'm saying so that you don't put a coach in a position to say that yeah sure uh, should the coach not curse you out on the field? Okay, but you called every ball, a sh- you know, on the uh, on the ground a strike. So like, don't tell me what a coach should have done when you didn't do your job. And it was similar to that. And when he walked away, and I like I said, Rich is a hard ass. He tells everybody, no matter who they are, what they need to hear. He walked away, and Rich looks at me, and he goes, it's, it, it was it me?" And I'm like, "No, I was like you were holding back. I was like surprised that you were." being so nice to him like this guy was just a, he was so dense and it was the first time I was like like I said he can't be helped like how do you I've I've dealt with situations of panic where you're okay calm down calm down and you'll get it you'll get it and maybe the time you know this is this is just a learning experience but the, the way he was so defiant and I was like he didn't learn anything from it. you said he didn't he didn't even he didn't even learn the fact that he was wrong. It, it was very weird. So that that's one thing we're wrestling that could share with bad partner. It's hard because nobody's my partner in that, in that in those situations. And assistant referee is a little different. If anything, I'm the bad partner in assistant referee because I suck at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting better. <laughs> but um I, I I'll go before I pitch it off to you. I'll just go with my um a bad umpiring situation. You now, one thing I can that jumped off the page and in my head, when I was thinking of the ideas, I stuck with the first one that came to my mind. And this was, I believe, last year, if not the, if not 2020, 2021. It was a softball game, and it, I forgot the teams, but this one partner. And the way it worked for USA soft, uh, for high school softball is USA softball is one governing body. So all the boroughs work together. So it's not like I know everybody. But I think that's the way it should be anyway. It should be one governing body. We'll get into that another time. But this guy was working the plate, and he was just awful. Not only is he awful, he was mean to. I'm not gonna say just to girls, but to student athletes. These are not grownups, and he was mean, and he was coarse, and he was not good. He negated rules like uh, the batter was just standing there, not leaning in, not doing anything. Took a pitch, and hit, and hit her on the arm. And he said because she didn't move out of the way he's just gonna call it a ball and I'm like what? I'm like first of all, show me the rules where he says you have to move out of the way. number one, two, it's not like she intended to do that like because if, if, if she did there's a a, a steeper consequence than just a ball. It was just one of those things and I'm like the coaches are looking at me and I'm like I don't I, I was heated and there's nothing I could do in those moments and I explained to coaches, listen, I can't tell him anything now. I can't, like, I'm not going to correct him now. If it's somebody who I thought needed, who I could correct, I still, if I, after every inning, I'd go up to them. I'd be very careful about the information i give them because I don't want to spook them. And I don't want them to be totally unsure. If this is the best you got, okay, cool. After the game, we can work out and improve upon your best. You know, and I know how to talk to to receptive umpires in that way as i've gotten more experience but this guy i didn't even after the inning i stayed in whatever position i went right back to a and at the end of the game we were walking we had to walk in the same direction as a car we had to walk in the same direction to to our cars i should say and i forgot what he said to me but he said something it was like a, trying to tell me something about the game. I was like listen man i don't know who you are but you have no right to tell me anything about my game as an umpire because what I just saw was an utter shit show. And honestly, I, I, had, I had to tell Joe Goldstein about him. I, had to, I was like, "Who is this guy?" I, and I didn't shit talk him. I'm not. I, I'm not a criticizer, and that's good. And I've learned how to harness that. And I think everybody should not be criticizers. Analyzing the situation is a different story. And I just reported what I saw to Joe, and I, I had to do so for the overall integrity of, of my, of our occupation. And for the fact that I was like, this guy was just, he was awful and not just awful for not knowing the rules. He was awful beyond the rules. He was the mm. opposite of that. He was awful as a, as a, as somebody who is dealing with student athletes and I haven't seen him since. I don't know. You know it's hard to penalize people where they get pulled out of rotation and stuff, especially because we of the lack of umpires which we'll get into but those are my only really like awful umpire where i like did the at the end of the game i was hostile to like this guy made me feel hostile toward him i was like man you you suck so much that like don't even talk to me so i don't know if you have wow. anything like that but
1: yeah no i don't have anything like that i mean for me what what constitute uh, not a bad partner but a, you know when we work in a game we got to be in sync so the first thing is, you know, before the game, especially early in my career, I thought that this is kind of the norm. But as I progress, it shouldn't be the norm. And so, when we get to a game, we'll do a pregame. You know, we, we'll if we know each other, we'll, we'll greet, talk about what's happened since we last worked together. Then we'll pregame, we'll talk about rules, but not rules, but talk about situations, what we're going to do if A happens, B happens, C happens, first and second, all that kind of stuff. Hey, we have um, a name for that.
0: We have a name for that. It's called Talking Shop,
1: Talking Shop, Talking Shop. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Talking shop. shop. So we'll talk shop. <laughs> exactly. And then once the game begins, I usually, if I'm on the dish or if I'm in on the base, I'll say, hey, have a good one. And I usually give them soft punch to the chest. Not hard hey, have a good one. I'll see you in two hours. You know, if it's a seven inning game, if it's a nine inning game, hey, I'll see you in 215, you know. And I don't come down unless that something really happened. Like, let's say it took a foul ball or, and and I'll probably come down, and check how they're doing. Otherwise, I may come down to some inning. Hey, you're working hard. Keep, keep it up, you know, or if they're missing the top of the zone and we're getting it early. Hey, hey, I need you to call that top of the zone like you did before. Hey, keep working, you know. But the thing that grinds my gears, as Peter Griffin would say, is (laughs) a partner who comes down every half an inning Mm -hmm. to talk about what's A, the time, or what's going on. I'm like, to me, that drives me insane. What are we we talking about? Because what happens is you got to go back to first, which now takes time. The team is ready to roll, and now you're taking your time. Either you're walking or slow jog back to the A, and then that adds time to the game. You know, so that's that's one. There's no reason for us to come down. Number two, uh, let's say a situation happened and we had to come together to adjudicate a call. My pet peeve is, hey, let's if you want to talk about after, hey, let's talk about it two innings later when everyone's forgot what happened. Don't come down that same inning the incident happens. <laughs> Three, if you don't hit your rotations, um, or you in two, man, if you if you go out. runner on first, or no one runs on, ball is hit down right field line, you go out, you know, and it's now turning to a triple, well, if you went out, get back to the dish, you know, like, if you're lazy, don't want to get, I'm going to have a problem with that, or a situation that happened last week, ball was hit, clear hit, and the runner, again, nobody on, ball is hit to right field, not even down the line, right center, clear base hit, and, I start coming up. I'm watching the runner touch. And then I see him take a hard turn a second. And my partner is still with the A. And I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) That drives me insane. It drives me insane. You know, which leads to to what's going on. You know, we we talk about what's happening nationally, globally, but here in the U.S., you know, officials are down throughout all sports, about 20%. And then as you get down to the local level, you know, and I and I think Anderson mentioned this in this last podcast that, you know, some of the umpires he he's seeing are are you know uh, maybe towards the tail end of their career, um, and they may miss a spot or they maybe may the not be tail as mobile. end of their
0: life too. Uh,
1: know? well, I, I'm not going to go there, <laughs> Listen, but tail end of their career. I'll go there.
0: I'm the jokester. You, you, so, um, <laughs> but yes, exactly. Yeah, they just you yeah.
1: Know. And they're not getting to spots. And, and you know, even at, at um, the triple A level for a high school division, he's probably more still astonished, surprised that the umpires are that he's getting. But what's happening is this. Right now, there's a lot of umpires who decided, hey, you know what, to do this avocation, we take a lot and they figured we don't want to do it they don't want to take the abuse and it's not just baseball i mean i officiate four sports three of them in college and you know every and all levels the the numbers are down and that means that's abuse like a big part of its abuse depending upon where you go like i always say i don't do little league i can't drop i think probably no lower than 14u. If I decided to, because I'm allergic to the parents, they're allergic to me. I'm a little too aggressive for them, and they're gonna have some things to say, and and then I will have to turn to, you know, from nice brown be bear Italy to Italy, a though, grizzly bear. You,
0: you, I think that's part of the problem. I think we should have younger kids doing.
1: Italy. Well, you should, you should, but because you know, you saw, you that, saw that last Italy. year the news, right? Remember last year there was a 70 some year old man who was doing a 12u game. And maybe he he got into it because maybe, maybe, you know, he called the pitch that the coach didn't agree was a strike and he called it a strike. And so the coach confronted him and then eventually punched him and broke his jaw. And that's somebody's grandfather, you know, and they're doing this game because maybe the assigners, they're down to, you know, whatever. And so they may not like, may not agree with with what is a ball or a strike or an out or whatever, but that experience counts for something. But, that's what that's what they're down to, and you're right. I think recruiting recruiting efforts have to be, you know, very high for all organizations. But still, we're down. We're down, officials. So the assigners are trying to do the best they can to provide the best product. Um, but right now, the you know, it, it's like it's it's the the officials who are good officials. You're a hot commodity now because you're you're moving up. That's why at the high school level. You don't see the, you know, the younger officials. The younger officials are moving to the college level. You know, it's a better game. It's a better pay. Pace of play is consistent, just about consistent all the way around. And so that's where they're going. In fact, the pro umpires are getting younger and younger and younger. They're recruiting these kids right out of college, guys who didn't get drafted, and make it to uh, the next level, and they're trying to get those twenty somethings. You know, into the league like, as umpires. So
0: you talk about like know? abuse levels, and I would imagine like maybe not abuse by a, a, a stupid ass parent literally coming and hitting you, but the scrutiny that comes with college, uh, the development that these guys get, they're able to deal with it. And I think that on a recreational level, which is usually where parents are, there needs to be a change in culture. And I think uh, if you see kids out there, doing their best. I mean, kids like out of high school, college, younger officials who are working uh, like on a beat the streets sort of governorship where you know that this is a program that is based on getting people jobs who are want to stay in the sport and jo- not just jobs like where it's a career, but th- this is something that they're staying with a the sport. They're giving back to the sport. sure they're getting money, but at the same time, Calm the fuck down. Look at these kids who are doing their best. That's what exactly what everybody's doing. And you get that culture. Instead, if you get an old dude who you're like, God, why is this? You know, he's not going to give that effort that these parents think is deserved. Whether they're right or wrong, he can't do it. He can't. And the wrong parents are going to take it too far, but the right parents are going to be like, they're going to say the same thing Anderson. why. why do you have these guys here? Unless you change the culture and that comes down to not just the signers, it comes down to the the people who run the little league organizations and there needs to be more officials at the table when they do these meetings, when they send these things out to parents, when they send these memos, when they draw up the, the field rules and they, they go through, you know, umpires a human. It's like why? Why? Have you asked have you just said that? Have you asked an umpire what what it's like? Have you have you really had an umpire say his story to parents in front of them to be like hey here's why maybe you want to hold back it's like because we got this kid who's coming straight out of high school he's developing he's trying to get a job he's doing his best and i'm the guy who's teaching him and i can offer you that i'm trying to teach him to do his best so everybody calm fuck down let's get this game going and let's remember that these are eight nine ten year olds and let's all do our best and we could all have fun and change the culture and i think that is a big part of why you don't see any anybody because there's none of that. I really think it's more on the part of the signers and their lack of commitment to recruiting. Yeah, they do their best, but they do their best with the shit that they have and the shit that they have. They don't develop because they, they just don't, they run an opposed. They don't, they don't have any. And I, I, I would say some of them are ignorant to it in a good way where they just are doing the same thing that has always worked for them. And some of them, just kind of want to monopolize and do what they want to do. And, and any change that challenges that would, seems like they that they got the wrong idea. And regardless of the two mindsets, there needs to be something that changes people's perceptions that, okay, I'm not going to argue with a, a teenager. He's doing his best. He's in uniform. He's coming out here, looking the part, everything's tucked in. He's doing the best and not only that, that culture will make it so that that person who hit who who hit the, the a seventy year old. There's nobody gonna be rallying around that. There's no there's gonna be no universe where that person would, shit can happen. Listen, any job shit can happen. I'm not saying that you are you couldn't hit the lotto in reverse and you become that person who gets attacked. But we can minimize minimize the 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 sense that that people could think that that can be done. And it would just be one crazy asshole who does it, and even the community itself turns on that person and be like, "Yo, what are you doing?" That person did his best. Do you know that's not a, that's a kid or that's some old guy coming back and learning through save system, sort of like crossing guards. It's like, oh, you you still got some some movement left in you, and you want to do an eight u game? You can do an eight u game. Just feel small. Take a step up and get a view of the field, but have some accountability within the actual training. And and have some clar- uh, some transparency to to the people outside of the game where they know what's going on and they they feel more knowledgeable. If they know more, they're going to argue less. If they know more about the person and they have more identity of who that person is, they're not going to just treat them like a nameless blue. So if they know that this person where they come from and they can track them and they know this comes from a system that's reliable and is a development program and these and and actually these kids are not only doing this but they're working to a to get to varsity. They're working up. This might be something where they're on TV and you might be a part of this process. Just like seeing a, a young, talented kid play the game. You might be seeing a young, talented umpire make his way to the, to the bigs and he started there. And that changes things.
1: You know, that, and that's a very interesting point you made. Um, I think that culture over time needs to improve. Um, I think having more respect for an official and what it takes to be an official. I think once parents have an understanding that the officials are paid then they expect their the officials to be perfect and that just does not make any sense you know um recruiting wise i think uh are doing they're doing the best they can because again a lot of get to get young kids to umpire these days with all these academies all the place you know parents want their kids to play that's a whole nother that adds to it but in addition, I've gotten uh, some some feedback from some from some uh, fellow officials who said, "Hey, when they go back, like some collegiate officials, when they come down um, to work high school games, um, typically Mondays and Thursdays are are days that collegiate officials usually don't don't work. Um, Mondays because you know double headers for series, they're usually double headers, so they go Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday is a day off." Um, and Thursday, you're getting ready to start your your conference series, so they don't uh, really work. So on uh, Mondays and Thursdays, they typically will cover a high school game. And I think that for the collegiate officials to come down a level, what I'm hearing is that those officials, because they are really good at what they do, their assigners on a high school level put them on a plate. And in my mindset is, why would you do that, where you can put a senior level guy. With somebody who's newer, and that's when the education process should happen. You know, I, I would have a problem if I'm coming from uh, you know, my schedule tends to be mostly division two on the college level, and I'm coming down to high school level doing a B or a C level game, and I'm working the dish because, you know, the younger guy, they don't have confidence in the young guy young guy doing the dish. I think a mistake. Put the younger guy on the dish and let us past the knowledge, you know, and instill some confidence because they're working with a senior guy who's going to help coach them through situations. So in the absence, they can get more and more confident. So that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing the abuse happens all over, but even the college the college officials coming down a level are are working to play, and I don't think, you know, you're in a pinch, you're in a bind, okay. But if you have 10 games that you're doing on a high school level and eight or nine of them are on a plate, those guys are going to say, you know, screw this. Rather than come down to high school level and help, I'm going to take the day off and relax because guess what? I have a series coming up and it may be three nines or four nines, you know, on that college level. So I'm just going to rest my body and I'm going to be more fresh for my, for my college game. So those are the types of things. But again, across the country, across all sports for, I officiate four sports. And again, Uh, all the assigners, they are trying to recruit, but guys just not coming out. And if you're Mm -hmm. average, if you're an average official, it's like golden time. You're going to get so much work, you know, so much work
0: to that point that you were saying, uh, you said something like there's a shortage of officials, but the ones that are left are good because you stick around. You must love it. Right. And the ones who want to get better, I'm not talking about those people. We're going to be in it. We're lifers. I'm talking about developing it in a way where people can be competent and comfortable at their position. And there's, it's just too binary. It's either you, you're expected to do everything as an official. I wouldn't want to put that expectation on a guy at a high school. If you want to do more, you can do more, but if you want to just spend your time doing rec ball and earning the money that way and the pressure being low, good. You can be a great recreational umpire and You're not expected to do any. You don't have to have these expectations to go through any process. What is a camp, right? A camp is something that is going to advance you to a level. But there's no camp to just be a recreational umpire. There's no like first just go on there and take and attend meetings and then go out there and trial by fire. And the signer shows up and it's like, okay, you're good enough. Like, how bad can you be for them to reject you? That's it. After that, how do you learn how to be better? If you just want to do rec ball, how do you learn how to be a better umpire without going to a camp? And when you go to a camp, do you want to continue to be that type of umpire? No, obviously not. You went to camp, you want to grow. But I compare it to martial arts, in jiu-jitsu in particular. And jiu-jitsu is essentially two different forms. When you're white, to, everybody's a white belt. And then when you get to blue belt, basically... You're a black belt of self-defense jiu meaning you have done enough to know all the things that are self-defense in jiu-jitsu, which I would parallel, you've done enough to be a competent umpire to do rec ball. Anything I would say below 50, 70, travel ball, 12, 12, you up that gets challenging. But for little Timmy, who's, you know, hitting off the tee and they just need somebody to be there to be objective. That's white belt to, to blue belt. You can do that. And then once you get past that, jujitsu still offers you to be a blue belt. You can still just go in there and take the self-defense class and, and sharpen that up. You don't have to advance yourself in these the belts. And once you get past the blue belt, then it's like going to camps. Okay, now you're learning about style. Now you're you're understanding that you don't need to defend yourself. Okay, like in blue belt up, when you learn jujitsu, it's like, there's no punches here. This is the understanding that the person you're going against also knows Jiu Jitsu. So you're not worried about self-defense. You're not worried about these, the things that like are basic. So you're going to position yourself to grow. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be on the wrestling team and and try to achieve state level. You can just be on the team and learn and develop the way you want to. It it, it could be a martial art in a way, umpiring, officiating where, you can be just a good whatever level umpire you are without the expectations that you're supposed to just be a good umpire like they're on TV or on college or in varsity. No, this is the greatest recreational level um, umpire of all time, and he's good. He's, he's been doing it for 50 years. He's one guy, and he comes. He takes his helmet off, and he runs up, and he can follow everybody on the small-ass field. Like, why is that impo- that – you put too much on people. And you put too much expectations on the job and the culture demands something that the economics of the amount of people umpires that we have, it doesn't match up to the expectations that people have of us. And the signers don't do a good job of managing that, in my opinion. And they don't do a good job of having a tiered system of umpire. It's like, it shouldn't just be uh, my good umpires and playoff umpires. As shout out to Alan Warren says, it should be, I got this guy, this level, this level, I got my white belts. I got my purple belts. I got my brown belts and I got my black belts and the black belts come down. Like you said, put them on the, put them on the, um, on the bases, teach these Padawans. Let's uh, let's develop them. Do it purposely. Oh, you want to get better? Have an incentive program. Here's how you get better. If you want to stay there, cool. You still, the the money's still green. So there's just not enough. And until this all gets exhausted, I'm not convinced that it's because, uh, Scrutiny and abuse. No, no, I'm not convinced. I'm, I'm not. I don't think there's not enough trying going on. So
1: that's my piece on it. There used to be. There was. I'm not going to say any names, and I'm not going to of the individual or group. But there was a group that did have, you know, what you're what you're describing, and they did have trainings throughout the season, and they they would meet you know, once every two or three months in the gym and spend two or three hours on learning. And it is eventually defunct. But a lot of the umpires in that group, they became great recreational. Again, if they wanted to stay at that level, they just got better by sharpening their tools. And some who wanted to go further, went further and still are are at the high levels. Um, But I definitely get what you, I mean, there is a need for that. Um, but it all starts with, you know, the, the recruiting and, and building, building the skill set, because yeah. once that skill set is built, it's going to give you a lot more confidence to go anywhere. You can you could stay at that rec league. You can take it up to different levels. You could move to another state and, and take those skills. And, and that will yeah. still be a way for you to to, to keep involved in the game and, and make yourself some some money. But I think the thing with the baseball with the fans and the parents, I mean, it's been there ever since I've been and even beyond that, I think it potentially could change. But everybody they want to see, you know, when because you know, the, all these academies you have nowadays, you know, when they put their kid in the, on a team and they're spending a lot of money for this training, the coaches are making so much money. You could be an entrepreneur just coaching kids now with all these academies. And all the and they're paying a lot of money. Their kid, their parents, don't want to get to the game, and they want to see little Timmy and
0: Paulie play. Is anybody getting punched at Nation?
1: Is everybody getting punched any, at Diamond Is any? Is you think a seventy-year-old
0: guy like that skill level or not? Why wouldn't somebody get punched at Nation? Like, why um, would that happen?
1: I mean, I think the opportunity is there. I mean, but I think overall, I do believe that umpires do take some abuse and because they want their kid, they think their kid is the next great thing Um, and okay. they are going to advocate for their kid.
0: Of course. And that's share. what they
1: think that they, they're, you know, it's, it's fair for them to do. I
0: share an anecdote too, like last year it was the first time I, I worked below 10 years old in forever and it was like, holy shit, the, the parents they're new. They're new to the experience. That's that's another thing. They're very, they're new to their child doing these things and they get excited. Part of what I I understand about psychology is you can trick people into anything. So people have been tricked into thinking that this behavior toward umpires is somehow some sort of social thing that's acceptable. And, and not everybody commits to it because not everybody's assholes. It's like everybody drinks, but not everybody's that stupid ass drunk. You know, everybody participates, but why doesn't everybody do it? But people justify it. So people can be like, well, I understand why he did that. And I think that aspect of, I understand why he did that, that little smidgen of, yeah, sure. Maybe that parent was an asshole, but that that's because umpires leave themselves open to right, wrong and different training, not or otherwise umpire being an asshole. Lack of training, whatever it is, there is not confidence in anybody, umpire, coach, parent, spectators, that umpires are trying as hard or care as much as they do about their kid as the umpire cares about that kid's game. And it is impossible to get Carlos Domo, who's been on this college level, to go down at 8U and give off as skilled as you are, and that'll get you through also being a 62 dude that abuse if you face it or not but when you understand that everybody's trying hard umpire included and here's why he's wearing something that signifies hopefully a beyond the rules patch or whatever it is that this this is a pro, this is a program that is developing just like what you're doing with your little league and your little ass mm-hmm. snot nose kid so everybody's trying here. <laughs> everybody's trying here. And if they have that sense, you really got to come out of your face to be a dickhead to somebody like that. And I'll leave it at that. Cause I, I when that's exhausted and the abuse doesn't sort of like, yes, it comes with the job. Sure. But it, it's not something that detracts. I think honestly, we'd have to weed out the people who want the power and the, and, And get to a point where you sort of got to like filter who comes in. There's no reason that you can't attract people who call in on Monday uh, on radio shows and give their fucking opinion like they know something. You can't attract and be like, oh, you want to make money with that opinion and put your money into a mouth, put your money where a mouth is. It's not like they're worried about abuse. It's just that they don't know. And they're not, there's no streamline. I I shouldn't say it's not because of abuse. They don't even know the abuse. So you have to get there to even know that there is abuse that's an excuse in my opinion, not, not saying that you're offering an excuse. I I think that it's an excuse on a level to be like, okay, well, let me know when all of this is exhausted and then the abuse is still happening. And it's really uh, detracting people from the job. Then, then I'll say, okay, we have a problem here, but I think the problem is well before that it's just development and nobody knows what to do. And I'm, I'm going to try to figure it out with you.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I got to say, uh, and I just want to take the time, this is where when I started this advocation baseball, officiating baseball, you know, BUA really gave me an opportunity. I mentioned um, George Bodine, rest in peace. Um, he recruited me and, and a bunch of guys of my age um, to, to get into umpiring. And we started at the grassroots level. We started in the, P, the, the, the I guess you call it the uh, T-ball levels and we worked our way up. Um, and it, just as you said, these kids are learning, you know, the things that they can do and we're learning what we can do. And, you know, after four or five years, you know, you start to get into, you know, higher age, you start doing like, you know, travel ball, 12U, 13U, 14U, and you grow. So after doing it a few years, you get up to the high school level and, and you just get more and more confident. But, You know, these, these kids nowadays, they're, I'm telling you, they're really into uh, the, 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 what we hear a lot is that they're doing a lot more, they're playing a lot more video games and not being involved in, in, in athletics. And so that, that is part of the problem, you know, and um, it's, it's going to be solved one way or another, but, you know, that's, that's what's happening. You know, you have, uh, and then. You know, with the parents in these academies, they're paying a lot of money for their kids to play. So if they feel an umpire made a bad call, it ruins that child's chances of getting to a recognized program or a high school program. You know, so it's about, hey, we're, we're paying all this money and you're ruining our chances, you know, and that comes down to some accountability um, and, and proper expectations. Oh, you know, actually. but that all filters down to the umpires, and again, it's not just umpires. It's, it's, it's in wrestling. You know, it's it's in football. You know, as a football referee, um, I'm an umpire, so I'm on a uh, this this past season, I was on the offensive side of the ball, so I'm in the middle of the field. is not coming to me. He may say something. I could just quickly ignore him. You know, the guys on the sidelines, they're the ones who are going to get the brunt of it from the coaches. But even on a wrestling mat, you know, that's why I mentioned in in the podcast before, you know, one of my one of the things I I challenged myself this past season was to go out to uh, a lot of um, events, collegiate events in in the state of New Jersey and PA in places that that no one knew me because uh, I wanted to get the wrestling I wasn't seeing locally. And I, I wanted to get better. I want to see situations that I'm not used to seeing. So down the road for postseason, it, it prepared me. And with that, I heard a whole bunch of parents say something and coaches say something, you know, and, and you know, I can address the coaches. You know, on the, on the collegiate level, they're more strict the rules and we can hold them accountable on the high school level and youth levels. they really that accountability really isn't there. So, you know, but but that's what it took to get stronger you know, for, for the postseason, And I think eventually when, when, you know, someone starts officiating at the local level, eventually to get better, they got to get out that comfort zone, get out of where you are and go somewhere else and, and make yourself uncomfortable Uh because eventually you will be comfortable.
0: Yeah. And everybody just got manage expectations and I hope everybody manages their expectations when they listen to us. Cause we're just trying ourselves just like all the officials. So Carlos. Thank you. I appreciate you. Everybody, thank you for listening to Talking Shop.